0: I need to this morning to set the, the stage for this next month. I need to kind of lay the groundwork on this higher level and understanding that. How, brother Lot, do I do I get to a higher level in my life? Because uh, I'm a process guy. I, I I'm as spiritual as they come. I know that, but there has to be process in my life. What are the steps to know that I'm moving in that direction? So how do I know that I'm moving in the right direction, that I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Well, understand first that, that when we talk about moving and, and adjusting, everything in life, as we've called this church, all seasons, everything is a season. And so what, what we get into many times is we get to looking at people's seasons, not our own, but other people's. And it's one of the biggest flaws we have. We, we'll look at somebody and say, "Well, man, I wish my family was like that family." I mean, look, our family is, is all this and that, and I wish my my mom and dad were like that. I wish I wish I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I wish I wish I was married and had kids. I wish we we constantly live. And when you add all the media that we have now, from Facebook to Instagram, it's, it doesn't take long. I had to quit watching HGTV because everybody had a better house than I did, and and everybody that I know on HG. TV lived on the beach. They all were buying beach houses and and everybody had a good life. And I was like, here I am. I'm stuck over here in forest or wherever, and I ain't got no water to look at, and I got no beach house, and I got no, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you gotta you gotta turn this thing off. Because in our lives, if we're not careful, we start to think we're in the worst season. Everybody else has good seasons. But what we don't understand when we take a snapshot, that's the problem with the Facebook or the Instagram or the anything that you're just saying, one picture, one glimpse, sometimes Photoshopped of what life looks like, one trip to a restaurant, and man, that's the way they live. They go out and eat all the time. They just go from restaurant to restaurant. You didn't see the season before where they were eating tomato sandwiches last week, and and you didn't see the season before where where I was unemployed, or you didn't see the season before where my my wife and me were in counseling. You didn't see the season before where me and my my family were having to do devotions because I had two or three kids that had gone AWOL. You didn't see where we were praying and fasting for little Junior because he was just gone. You, You don't see all the seasons, and what we many times do is we only post the seasons that we like people to see. And we miss out on the seasons that we don't like and we just hope go away. But seasons are coming and going and it is the understanding of how to process that and how to move through that and what to do in that that makes life good. In fact, let me just go ahead and give it to you this way and you can write this down. Your decisions today, and I've probably told you this a thousand times, your decisions today determine your next level or your next season tomorrow, what decisions you are making today. Because if I continue to see other people's seasons, there's a normal tendency in my life to just shut down, to just accept what I have, or to just say it's never going to happen for me. And you you can start to hang around people like this, and it doesn't take but a few minutes, and you know they're stuck there. Because they can see something and everything, and they just go, well, you know, that kind of stuff never happens to me. I, I'm telling you, if anything bad can happen, it's going to What have they done? They've hit a season looking at everybody else, and they've determined that my life will always be like this. My life will always be stuck. My life will ne- I will never meet anybody. I will never have the right job. I will never live in a, in a place of my own. I will never have all this. And we get stuck in that mindset where the enemy just constantly bombards us until we Accept something or do something that we never would have even done. But we do it because we think, I'll never get out of here. And even a bad choice, at least is a choice. And we miss out on many of the things that God wants. Because we don't understand that the decisions we're making today, this very moment, every decision is determining my level of my future. In the Bible there's a story that just illustrates this wonderfully and it's a story of Ruth. Ruth is a story that I read from time to time just many times as, as a morning devotional. I just open it up, read the whole book because it's you know it's only four chapters and it's like you just read it and it's like okay, I got it. But it is one of the best devotionals you'll ever read because what it's doing it's showing you the power of choice. And it's showing you the power of being able to keep moving in the right direction even when things aren't going well. Because when you look at the story of Ruth, we, we know how it ends, where her and Boaz get married, and man, it's all good. But, but there are different seasons in this story that Ruth would have told you. Ruth could have said, there's a season of life where I'm a widow. My husband dies, and I've got, I've got no way to make it. My mother-in-law is all I got, and she she don't have any income. There's a season of my life where I'm broke and busted. There's a season of my life where I have to decide, am I going to stay in Moab, or am I going to follow this older woman? The older woman even tells me, don't follow me. Even she, Naomi, doesn't even want me going with her. And there's a season in my life where I have to make a decision and I have to live on that decision and live with the outcomes of that decision because that decision is going to determine my tomorrow. There's a decision where I'm just picking enough food for us to live on. There's different seasons in her life. In fact, the story of Ruth is is powerful because of three specific things. Let me, let me share first this story and get us to where I want us to be in chapter 4. Ruth is this Moabite woman who marries into this family who's moved from another country. Elimelech has two sons, sick and tired. That's what they are, sick and tired. You study it, that's, that's, one was sick and the other one was always tired. And so they got they got married to two girls from the Moabite people. One of them was Ruth. Everything seemed like okay. It's going to be all right until Elimelech dies. The patriarch of the family dies, but he's got two boys, so it's okay. But that's sick and tired, so it doesn't last very long. And sick dies and tired dies, and now you've got two daughter in laws stuck with their mother in law who she looks at them and says, I'm going home. I had enough of this. I'm going home. I'm not even going to be called Naomi anymore. I'm changing my name. I mean, I've I've given up. I've totally quit. I'm through. And Oprah, the the one daughter-in-law, says, I'm going home too. I'm going back to my people. And there's Ruth, and Ruth says, No, I'll go where you go, i lodge where you lodge, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That doesn't sound like a big statement, but it's huge when you understand the story. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And she follows this little old woman back to a place and 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 she's never been before this land and this town of Bethlehem and, and she follows her there and they move into this little shack and they've got no food they've got no income they've got nothing and and Naomi says to Ruth look this is the way it works around here if you will go and glean from the outer courts of the fields that they they specifically don't pick those and they leave that for poor people if you didn't know we're poor there is no check coming in the mail. There is no one going to die and leave us an inheritance. It's, it, we poor. Or as we used to say, we poe. We beyond poor. We poe. So you need, if you're going to be a part of this, you need to go out there and glean from the field and, and they won't bother you. Just, just glean from the edges. And so she does this. And one day this guy comes riding up on a horse. His name is Boaz. She doesn't know who he is. They catch eyes. He's like, "Who are you?" Well, I'm Naomi's daughter-in-law. We moved back, and I'm here just trying to, huh." Well Boaz tells the men, don't mess with her. He kind of likes her. She goes back to Naomi and says, "Hey, a weird thing happened today. There's this guy on a horse that shows up. A guy on a horse. He ain't poor. No. He riding a horse. He wasn't picking. He was just riding. Well, tell me who he was. His name was Bowie. She said, oh, sweetie. We may never hit the lottery, but if we ever hit the lottery, that's the lottery. That's, that's what she says. Huh? We may never hit it, but if we do, that is the lottery right there. Boaz is, is the one that owns all them fields and he's the one that that's his people working there and I'm telling you, he's the man. And so what did he tell you? He said, he said, well, to keep picking. And she said, that's what you do. You keep picking in that field. And, and it came about that eventually there was a dinner at, in the middle of the day. And, 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 and so he invited all his workers, and he invited Ruth. And Boaz sat there, and, and, and he kind of did a few gestures that let her know that I, I, I kind of I noticed you and, and handed her something to dip her bread in, different things, you know, how that custom goes. And, and, and so it was all in this. And then he looks over at the man. He said, I'm telling you all, don't touch that woman. And you would think, all right, we're fixing to get this thing going. And then what happens? Nothing. Boaz quit showing up. He got busy in his work. He's a businessman. He, he's going off and dealing with his dealings. He, he ain't got time to keep riding a horse around and checking on this lady. And Ruth tells Naomi, I ain't seen him in a while. I don't think he's interested anymore. She said, I'm going to tell you what you do. He'll be where all the wheat, when it gets picked, he's going to be at his barn. He's going to be at his threshing floor, and he's going to sleep on top of that wheat to protect it. And Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there that night. What? Yep. I want you to go there that night, and I want you to sneak in. And I want you to lay on his feet. What? Yeah, just just lay down by his feet and just put your... Cover over his feet and just go to sleep right there by his feet. <sighs> okay. She does that. Well, you can imagine Boaz when he woke up and there's this woman laying at his feet. Yeah, he wakes up like, What in the world? And he realizes it's Ruth. He said, What are you doing here? Now, it's not normal that women ask men to marry him, but she does. She says, Look, we are kin we're we're part of the same line you are a kinsman redeemer to our family and if you like me like I think you like me then you need to be claiming me or otherwise let me know you are not interested he says oh I'm interested I'm interested but I got a problem I'm at this level, and i got to get to this level. There's one in front of me who is closer in kin who has first dibs on your land, and which means if they get your land, they get you. So i got a problem. Anybody ever have a problem trying to get from where you are to where you want to be? Always. Then you need a strategy to know how to get from where you are to where you want to be. That's Boaz. Boaz in our story has to solve three specific problems, three things that have to work in Boaz's favor. And they'll have to work in your favor if you're ever going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. If you're ever going to see God do in your life what you want to see done, there's three things you've got to be praying for, expecting, anticipating, and looking for all the time. Number one is this. In your life, there has to be providence that's not providence Rhode Island that's the providence of God in your life there has to be the providence of God working or it's not going to happen Nobody opens doors but God, and nobody closes doors but God. You can cry, complain, whine, ask for it, wish you had it, get mad about it, do do whatever you want to do. The children of Israel had a long learning lesson on the fact of God does what he wants to do, and he has a plan, and he wants you to be in the middle of it, but it's to do you good and not harm. You've got to trust his providence, and and I know we've, we've stretched that. I'm not a big John Calvin fan. I'm sorry. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe God just created a bunch of dumb people and then all of a sudden God, who's all-knowing, all-seeing, all-doing, he just simply dictates everything, good, bad. That means God brings all the tornadoes and God brings all the storms and God brings the hurricanes and God kills these people and God raises up these people. I have never read the Bible and interpreted it that way. What I believe is that God created us uniquely from every other creature. We're not like lions or anything else that just simply live and die and we do what God told us to do. I believe that we have a choice in our lives. We are given the moral choice to be able to dictate the prayers of the righteous man can availeth much. I believe that I can move the heart of God. I believe I can transform situations. I believe I can move in then I do not believe my life has already been written out in a book somewhere and basically God said, oh, I know what Tim's gonna do next week. I know what Tim's gonna do tomorrow. I believe God looks up every day and says, Tim, what are we going to do? Tim, how are we gonna do this? And you're not going to mess up my plans, Tim, that my plans are so big and so large and I've already written how Revelations is going to go, but now I'm not telling you you got to be there and I'm not telling you you are going to be there. I've just invited you to be there. I've just invited you to be a part of what I, the sovereign God, is going to do. I believe in God's sovereignty. He also has created a place of choice. So from that doctrine... People tweaked it and came up with everything from eternal security to you name it. And now we just basically don't care. It don't matter if we care. God's going to do what God wants to do. And you wonder why the church has no power. That, that theology within itself has destroyed the power of the church. You can go to a building, do nothing, believe nothing. As long as you check the box, you You good. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of or seen in my life. Why would God drag me cussing, screaming, and hating Him to a heaven where i got to spend all eternity with Him? That is the ridiculous. God, I don't like you. I, I tried you. I don't like you. It don't matter to Him. You picked me once, so now you got to live with me. That's totally contrary to anything God's ever taught about choosing Him. Now we can get into theology problems if you want to. But I'm sorry, I believe you have a choice today. So then, Brother Lott, when you talk about the providence, when Calvin talks about providence, he's talking about God's omnipotence and His providence that overshadows and overdoes and every choice is already made. I believe the providence of God, when I read it and understand it correctly, is that God is for me. And I believe that God as he says and describes himself when he gives his names, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, one of those is I am the God who provides. And I believe that in my life there's not a moment or a second where God has not made a way or provided a way for me to move from where I am to where I'm supposed to be. I don't believe there's a person in this room that is stuck where you are. I believe every person has the ability to move from where you are to where you want to be. You say, well, 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 what about my marriage? I believe it can move from where it is to where you want it to be. What about my life? I believe it can move from where you... Well, what about the things I struggle with? I don't care what it is. Webster, when he described providence, said it this way. It is a divine guidance or care. He says, God conceived... As the power, or conceived as the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. Webster understood it. Webster was like, it's not just omnipotence and, and you don't get a choice, it's that God is divinely working with. God is in the process of being right there with you. And if you will walk in his providence, if you will walk in his providence, you will find God doing things all the time. You will always find God moving and working. And in fact, the outward working of providence is simply a word that we shrink it down and say, providing. Look at the person beside you and say, God is providing for you right now. That's what God is doing. Because he loves you and cares for you, he's provided for you. When he gave his son, guess what he was doing? Providing for you. You're going to go to hell. I've got to provide. I have provided you a way. Does that mean everybody goes to heaven? No, you still have to choose. But I have provided. Don't come meet me one day and say, you didn't help me. I provided. I gave you everything that you needed to make it. Here's the problem with providence is that providence works so much better when we can see it backwards. Providence works so much better when we see it backwards. There are people that when they look backwards on their life, they they look at it of the bad choices when they didn't choose God's providence and they'll say, man, I should have never done that. I should have never met that person. I should have never went there. Now, when you trust God, you're always going to look back on the providence of God in your life and you're going to say, man, look where God opened a door right there. Look where God brought me from right there. Look how God fixed. See, that's the difference. God's providence is always working. And he will use even your bad choices to show others what you don't need to be doing. But he wants more than anything for you to choose him and in his providence be able to look back on your life and say, Wow, where would we be if I hadn't have done that? Let let me give you a scenario. When I was 17, 18 years old, I tore up my knee playing a basketball game. Like a thousand times I've played basketball, it was a junior, senior. I was fixing to graduate, I was fixing to join the Navy, I was fixing to go into nuclear engineering. I was man. I had it all figured out, and in my life, all of a sudden, I go up for a layup that I had done a million times. Boom! I hear this pop. Well, now I'm an E. Whatever. I can't walk. I can't run. I can't do the military drills. I can't pass the physical. I'm done. So I'm, I, in my in my upsetness, decide God is saying, "Now here's what I really want you to do, Tim." I want you to get in with me. I'm like, no. So I run off to Birmingham and me and God go through this long process. Five or six months of starvation and, 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 and getting stuff stolen from you. And God's like, happy yet, happy yet, happy yet. Welcome to Lot Living in My Providence, Tim. You got stories, but they're not good stories. Finally, I'm like, fine, God. I went. In Providence, my mom decided, I'm going to buy Tim one last year. He's young enough, he can go to youth camp one more time. So my mom in her Providence, she goes ahead and pays for it before she even asks me. I think she did it on purpose. Because when she tells me, Tim, I'd like for you to go to camp, I'm I'm, I'm starving, fighting God, and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go to camp. She says, I done paid for it, Tim, and, and, and you know, Fine, Mom. I go and get saved and rededicate my life and move back. Happen to be where my dad is, where he's at, which is not very far from where my uncle is. I end up spending almost a year and a half with my uncle. My family moves back to Eupora just so happens that my brothers play football on one of the occasions when one of my brothers is playing football, and I decide, I guess I'll go to one of the games. I'm, I was off that day. I sit down, had no idea that he would sit right beside me, would be Elise Brown. Now, I'm the same person that every day has been telling mom, I'll never meet anybody. I, I mean, who's going to want to marry a preacher no sensible person he wants to be in that. We we talk, we date for about a month, and then I head off to Lee College to try that. Another bad decision because I wanted to learn how to be a preacher. God's like, I'll teach you how to do that. I come back, just so happens, I'm working at an antique shop. On the weekends, I love antiques. It's one of the things me and Elise had in common. We knew that when we first started dating. And, and I'm working there, and all of a sudden one day I round the corner, and guess who rounds the corner? Elise Brown. This time, man, she's got those overall shorts on and got the tassels, you know, strings, and she's got that I'm talking about a fro looking hair, man. I'm talking about like, like, We talk about 90s, 80s, 90s perm, but we're talking about hair. And it came down to here, and it poof. And she rounded that corner, and I was just like, I will. (laughs) Whatever the question is, I will. I felt like Boaz. I will. I will. We get to dating, married, end up living in Caledonia. When I end up living in Caledonia, get a call one day from somebody I, that was in the camps, who knew I was preaching, who now was in leadership, and he said, hey, we got this little church, would you like to go do it? So for a year, me and Elise drove 80 miles one way, 80 miles the other way, to preach at this one little church, because she was Methodist and knew none of the songs. So she was playing piano to 20 people. Man, we were right in the will of God. Thinking, this is it. We did that for about a year. Church grew a little bit, but it was always going to be just where it was. The same guy calls me back, said, Tim, I have got a deal, man. Like you do. He said, Yes. He said, Forest. He said, We're needing someone there. And he said, You and Elise have done a decent job. Where you at? And he says, You the first person that came to my mind. I'm thinking, You probably done asked twelve people and they done turned you down. <laughs> Fine. I come. God says, Give me five years. That was twenty nine years ago. And it all started because I was playing a junior senior basketball game and I blew out my knee. That's providence. Now, at the moment, it don't, but now that I've told you the whole story and you look at it going backwards, you're like, that's cool. And that's what God loves. God loves to get you to the destination and then you look back and think, Oh, that's why that, oh, that's why that didn't work. And that's why that, oh, now at the moment, it's not any fun, is it? If you were to tell Naomi and Ruth, hey, Abimelech uh, died. Oh, that's a bad season, but it's going to get you somewhere. Abimelech can't take you where I need to take. Hey, your two sons, sick and tired, died. Oh, that's horrible. It is, but it don't get you where I want to get you hey, you got to move back to Bethlehem, but we're broke. It's okay. It's going to get you there. Ruth decides, I'm not going to sleep around with any of these guys and try to just meet the first one and find me a man so I can have somebody. She keeps herself pure and she decides I'm going to be Naomi's uh, caretaker. I'm going to do what I was... uh, Who knew that season meant anything? Who knew that her keeping herself pure meant anything? Who knew not dating some guy off the side that she would catch the eye of the the main guy, Boaz? Who knew all it was was the providence of God? And what we do in the providence of God is every time there's a choice to make, we say, God, which way would you have me to go? And we go that way. God, which way would you have me to go? And we go that way. And one day we wake up and we realize I have come further than I ever thought. And someone will say, man, you've done good. And you have to say, whoa, you don't understand. I was the guy that was blowed out me years ago that thought I'd lost everything I ever dreamed of. That's providence. Yeah. If you do it in your life, it works the same way. You're either going to look back and think, boy, I shouldn't have done that. And I shouldn't have. Well, that means you keep fighting the providence of God. And the more you fight it, it's not going to one day get better. It's just going to keep getting worse. Number one, go with me to Ruth 4, 1 through 4. Boaz, number one, needs what? Providence. Now, Boaz went up to the gate. So here's what he tells Ruth. He says, look, I, I've got to find this guy. I've got to, maybe if we, if we cross paths, then, then we'll see what we can do. And the first thing Boaz does, he says, well, there's only one place he might show up. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken of, what's the odds that he would show up the day that he sat down And the guy that he's been needing to see and didn't know how to get in touch with and didn't know where he was and didn't know where he's doing business, all of a sudden while Boaz is sitting at the gate thinking, I sure would like to have Ruth, but I don't see how this thing's going to work. And about that time, guess who comes strutting up through the gate? Hey, I've been wanting to talk to you. That's how life works. When you start moving the way God says things will happen that you can't understand, can't make sense of, don't know why it's happening, don't know why you got the good side and somebody else did, don't know why it happens, it just happens. Let me tell you what, it isn't luck, it isn't fortune, it isn't just, it isn't karma, it's God. That much me and Calvin do agree with, is that when I move in the way God's chose me to move, and nudging me, and urging me, and leading me, and guiding me, God says, if you'll listen, it'll open up doors for you. It'll get you where you want to be. So, number one, now Boaz went up to the gate and, and the friend, and, and here's what he says. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. <laughs> and he doesn't call him by name, and I'll show you later. He said, sit down here. So he came and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. What's he getting ready to do? we finished to do business. First thing you need is providence. Number two, you better have a plan. You better have a plan. One of the things that that wears me out and one of the things that is my greatest weapon is the fact that I think about a scenario a thousand times before I ever get there. I wish I could be like some of y'all. We'll just figure it out when we get there. I mean, that must be a good life. You just show up and whatever. And then two weeks later, that was a bad thought. I'm the opposite. It doesn't matter. Like yesterday, I I had to preach funerals. I'm wrestling over that. I am... I am, I am thinking every scenario, how to say it, how to go through it, and, and God, give me the right words. God, show me exactly how you want to do this. What scriptures do you want me to say? What things do you want me to, I, I am wrestling and pouring over that, and it's wearing on me and wearing me down. It isn't the doing it, it's the planning for it. It's the preparing for it that wears you down. It, that's why the Bible says, before you go to war, going to war is easy. You can grab a sword and shield and get after it, but the fact is, he said, before you do it, you better let us sit down and plan whether you got the right plan to win the battle or whether you need to ask, tell the person, look, I can't beat you. I can't, I, I, we need to make a peace treaty. Before you build a house, before you go start buying lumber and stacking it in your yard, you better have a plan. Before you start dating, you better have a list, a plan of the kind of people you will date and won't date. And hair color don't even need to be on the list. You need to be able to have a plan in your life so that you can move when God moves and opens the door. This is what God tells Joshua. He says, Joshua, I've already given you the land. In Joshua 1, he says, Joshua, I've given you the land. It's yours. Well, I'm just going to go in there and get it then. Eh. What you need to do, Joshua, is meditate on my word day and night. And then you will make your way prosperous. You'll know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. You'll have a plan. Look at the person beside you and say, do you have a plan? Well, good. Then, then tell, me, tell me what your plan is for your marriage. Since you got one. Tell me what it is for your marriage. How's how you gonna get your marriage from here to there? You got a you got a certain conference you're gonna be going to, you got you got a book you're reading together, you got tell me what you're doing. You've been sitting there for months. I wish man, I wish my marriage I wish it would get better. I wish... Well, we well, when you know God's trying to do it, He wants it done. Well then tell me how you're gonna do it. I just ain't gonna fuss with him. That's your plan? We're just gonna just smile and act nice to each other. Hopefully, it'll go away. That's not a good plan. How about about your health? What's your plan? Eat. Your refrigerator already determined what you're gonna eat? If I opened it up, would it it say that this is what I really wanna be? Cold pizza. Some leftover stuff that you would, not sure if the dog would get sick on if you ate it or they ate it. You got a workout program? Plan to to just start walking, plan. See, see, our problem is, is that we think, well, God's going to do it. No, no, no. God's going to open a door for you. If you want better health, let me tell you the first thing you did. He gave you the health you had to be able to make it better. You're not in a hospital, so you can walk. Get to walking. My knee doesn't allow me to do certain things. Does that mean, well, I, I just, I'm not going to do anything. No. It means I just certain things I can't do. But it doesn't mean that I can't take care of my health. It doesn't mean I can't eat right. It doesn't mean I can't. If I talk about your finances, what's your finances solution? God's given me a job. Wonderful. What does that mean? Spend more than I make. That's not a good plan. You might want to cut up your credit cards. What? Yeah. Credit card just means you're buying more than you actually have money to have. If you want to keep one in a sock drawer in case of emergency, wonderful. Knock yourself out. But walking around with five of them in your wallet and thinking, I got money. No, you don't. That's a bad plan. If I was to talk to you about your friends, both of your friends you hung out with this weekend, were they drunk? Were they passed out on the couch? Did they, What were they talking about? What were they doing? What were they singing? What were they listening to? If I were to ask you, are they going to get you to where you want to be? Then what's your plan? You going to make better friends? You going to drop the ones you got and go find better ones? Plans are tough. Plans require discipline. Plans require, there's nothing in my life that I've never done without first the providence of God and God saying, Tim, I'm opening a door. And then the second thing, God says, Tim, you need to get a plan. You need to get a plan. Now, does that mean all my plans are going to work out identical to how they say? No, no. Sometimes they're tweaked along the way. God's like, that was good, Tim, but we're going to do it a little differently. And that's fine. But God says, I got something to work with. You sitting there eating tater chips is not a health plan, Tim. I can't work with that. I'm going to drink Diet Coke instead of straight Coke. That's going to make it so much better. No, it's not. That's not a health strategy. You've got to have a plan. Well, let's look at Boaz. Go to me and let's read. And he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I fought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I'm next after you. Man, Boaz wants this woman, and he tells this guy, "You need to buy this land." No, 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 no. Look at the person beside you. He's doing business. He's not a prophet. He's not a singer. He's not a a teacher. He's not a pastor. He's not. He's a businessman. Let me tell you something in this room. God can use every one of your careers every one of your skills, every one of your abilities, if you just allow him to use it for his glory. Boaz is just a businessman. But he's got a plan. Notice, next verse. Here's what happens. And Boaz says, go back to verse 4. If you'll go back one with me. One but to... Redeem it, and I'm next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. In other words, the man said, I'll buy it. Mr. No Name. Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody says, I'll buy it. And then verse 5. It's important because listen to what he says. Ruth 4 and 5. Give them a and Boaz says, now, I, hey, hey, I need to tell you something, though. I didn't tell you. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Well, what was he saying? And I know that's a loose translation right there. Here's what he's basically saying. If you buy that land you also get Ruth as your wife. And the goal of getting Ruth as your wife is you need to have some kids with her. And the reason you need to have some kids with her is so that you get to give up the land and give it back to Ruth and Naomi and you don't get to own it no more. What kind of deal is that? You want me to to, marry, to, to buy this land so I can have her as a, a Moabite woman as my wife? Man, you know what people are going to say about me around town if I marry a Moabite woman who has who, who done already a widow? And then you're asking me to, to have a child with her, and if I have a child with her, that means the child's going to get her inheritance. That means that, that I don't even get the land anymore. I have to give it back to Naomi, and, back, and I got a mother-in-law now, and I got a wife now, and I'm going to have to have some children, and I got to raise kids. Are you out of your mind you just told me I was gonna buy some land. Well, I did, but there's some stuff it comes with. It. And the close relative said, "I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance." He said, in other words, he said, "I got a wife. You think I'm bringing this Moabite's woman into my house with I already got a wife, and she's wanting to have kids, stay in her and her stuff? And now you're gonna tell me, well, I gotta gotta have some kids with her too, baby? This is not good." I can't do it. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, it was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging and confirming. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. So this Mr. Nobody takes off his shoe and gives it to Boaz and says, Here, I don't want no part of it. I don't want nothing to do with it. You know, I told you I'd tell you why his name is nobody. It's because there's certain people that when times of providence come, when there's moments where you can step out of your comfort zone and do something that's bigger than you, they will always shrink. And in the annals of history, you will always know them as being nobody. Nobody remembers their name. Nobody cares. Instead of Boaz, it could have been his name. He had first rights. But he said, no. Whatever blessings that will ever come from this, I don't want any part of it. You have them. Because it's costing too much. It's too uncomfortable for me to do it. And he takes off his shoe and he gives it to Boaz. I wonder how many times in our life we tell God, here, God, just give that to somebody else. I'll never walk on that land. I'll never walk in that kind of health. I'll never walk in that kind of job. I'll never walk in that kind of marriage. I'll never have those kind of kids. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you now, God, you you give it to somebody else. It's too uncomfortable. I don't see it. I don't see where me doing what you're asking me to do right now is going to make that big a difference. So I'm just going to forfeit it. Really the difference between me and probably a thousand pastors around is that most of you had to go to church somewhere. Right? God wanted you in church. He's like, y'all going to go to church somewhere. And if they had decided they were going to preach, adjust, grow, disciple, don't you think you probably would have ended up there? If I'd have stayed on Bank Street and said, you know what, I'm just going to do a few years here, get by my time, and when something better comes along, I'm just going to take it. You think God would have let me do that? Yeah. Yeah, I see people do it all the time. All God ever gave me was providence. He gave me an open door. And He gave me a plan. What was the plan, Tim? God said, Tim, when you come here, five years, work, work toward buying land, building your building." I would love to tell you that, man, I had this millionaire walk up and wrote me a big old check and said, Tim, God just told me to build it. I sold chicken plates, rode around with peanut brittle in my car. The sign we put out in the front yard, future home of all seasons, everything, it rotted and failed. Four years in, before we ever got here, it rotted and failed. We started to build it. Two of my main ladies in my church, one who was my, my clerk, my secretary, dies and is killed. The other one dies of a rare stomach cancer. I mean, everything is going backwards. But the plan was, get to the building. The plan was... That little old building over there for some reason was going to be important and I had to get there. God said, that's where I need you to get. You need a plan, Tim. The plan was, let's just finish the first half because we ain't got enough money to finish the back half. We'll just put this big wall up and it'll be a little nursery. It'll be this. It'll be, and that's it. That's all we got. When you walked in, you had a bathroom and a sanctuary and man, that was our whole church. If you went to Sunday school, you just went back in the back where we wrapped this queen around an area and that was your Sunday school class. Man, I was blowing and going, but I tell you what I had. I had a plan to move forward. And God says, Tim, my providence and your plan brings blessings. How do you know? Because he said, doing all you know to do, Tim, ask whatever you will. That scripture did not mean anything until I had done all I knew to do and I was at the end of my ropes. And, And at moments in my life, it's like, God, I got nothing else. Ask. And I used to use that phrase all the time, got them out of lumber. I'd reach back for another board. I don't know where it's coming from, but a board's got to come from somewhere. And that became my mindset, just reach back for another one. And through my life, that's all I do, reach back for one more, reach back for some more seed, reach back for whatever they need to move forward in the providence of God. And in your life, this is the way it works because number three is so important because if you don't get the first two, the third one will escape you, which is prayer. See, what we do first is we don't, we don't look for the providence of God and we don't plan for anything. We just start praying about things. Will y'all pray for me that God will let this fat just fall off of me? How many people get ticked off I gave them a bottle of water? So here, this is what God told me to take. I don't even like the taste of water, no doubt. I have noticed that about you already. But you better adjust and learn about providence. And you need to learn about some discipline. Am I being ugly? I know. I want my marriage to be better. Bro, I pray our marriage to get better. Well, you go home today and start cooking dinner. I don't even like them. But why do you want your marriage to get better if you don't like them? Go home, cook dinner. Put on something sexy tonight. Tell him, come here, big boy. I got something for you. If she ain't acting right, you go home, brush your teeth, take the bath. You say, babe, we're going out tonight. You open the door for her, close the door for her. And you take her to where she likes to eat. She gets to come at home. You reach over and hold her hand. You tell her a thousand times, I like you. I really like you. No, you don't. Oh, I do. If I could give you the world, I'd give you the world. You find out by the time you get home, she's kind of more receptive to some of the hugging that you wanted to do. It's called a plan. You got to have a door, you got to have a plan, but then you got to know how to pray. Go with me to verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate. And the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house. Who's that? That's Ruth. To make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephraim and be famous in Bethlehem. Wow, that's pretty cool. May your house, verse 12, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. See, all through the book of Ruth, there's prayers. You just don't see them. They're not long prayers. People ask me all the time, Brother Lot, how do you pray? How do you pray? Well, let me just go ahead and tell you how I pray. I pray short prayers, but I pray them all the time. I do not pray long prayers. Uh, If somebody says, well, Pastor Light gets along for four or five hours, no. I pray short prayers, but I am constantly praying them. Every situation, every circumstance is a prayer. God, I need you to help me right here. God, I need you to open a door right here. God, I need you to, God bless this. God, I'm constantly praying, as Paul said, without ceasing. Everything covered in prayer. Some of us only pray at our food and pray, but you need to learn how to pray consistently. You don't have to pray long prayers, but consistent. Let me show you through this story. Go with me to chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to run through these scriptures real quick. I'm going to show you how much prayer is used. We don't think about it through the book of Ruth, but prayer is constant. Here's what it says in, in chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord grants you that you may find rest each in the house of, your, of her husband. That was a prayer. Here, let me show you another one. Chapter 1, verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there will be, I will, I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if I, if anything but death parts you and me. What's that? That's a prayer. Lord, you, you punish me if I don't do what I said I'm fixing to do. That's a prayer. Let me show you another prayer, two and four. These are awesome prayers. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be that's a prayer. May the Lord bless you. That's a prayer. See, we think of these long, will y'all bow y'all's head and let me pray for y'all? And we just think, no, no. I can look at you and say, may the Lord bless you. That's a prayer. Be blessed. Lord, if I don't do what I'm saying I'm going to do, straighten me out. That's a prayer. Constantly praying. Go to 2 and 12. Here's what he says. The Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given to you of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to refuge. That's Boaz telling Ruth, may the Lord bless you for what you've done to Naomi. How about 2 and 13? Here's what it says. Then he said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant. That's Ruth talking to God. Now she's done started praying. Wow. 3.10. Let's just skip one. We'll go to 3.10. I'll skip a couple. And he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, that you did not go after the young men, whether poor or rich. In other words, he, he prays a blessing over Ruth, and he says, Ruth, I like you. You could have picked one. you good-looking woman now. You could have picked one of them young men. They would, have, they would have snatched you up, but you didn't go after that. May the Lord bless you. Do you pray like that all the time? Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. God, open that door right there. Lord, bless them for what they did for me right then. Lord, that person that just just helped me, God, be good to them. That cashier that just worked, God, bless that person. Learn to pray short prayers constantly. Don't quit praying. And then at the end, chapter 4, we just read, the people all gather and they say, Boaz, be blessed. You and your offspring. May she be like Rachel and Leah, who had all 12 of the tribe of Israel. Let, 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 let her just be, and let her be best in Bethlehem. Let her name be great. And the Bible says in verse 13 that Boaz went unto Ruth, and she conceived a child. Now, that's not what's important, it's providence. If I had time, I would walk you from Jesus Christ who was born in what town? Who is the most famous person ever born in Bethlehem? Jesus. What did they pray that day? That your name would be great in Bethlehem. If I had time, I'd walk you back through the genealogy. So-and-so, and and -and so-and-so, had so-and-so, and and had so-and-so. And we would skip across a name by the name of David. David? Yeah, we'd hit David. And then before David, we would hit a name by the name. After that, David's dad's name was Jesse. And Jesse's dad's name was Obed. And Obed's mom and dad was Ruth. And Boaz. You hadn't seen all my story yet. And I'll tell you something else. You hadn't seen all your story yet. The question is, do you believe that the providence of God is opening your next door? Do you believe that with work and a plan, This proverb says, if a man who will make a plan and work hard, that blessing's coming. Are you willing to to say, God, I see it. I'm moving toward it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't understand. You'll have to open doors long, but I'm moving toward it. And do you believe the power of a prayer? I still see myself sometimes standing in what used to be Fred's parking lot. Fred's is gone. And God stopped me one day when I was driving home. And He said, Get out and pray. And I said, Lord, what am I praying for? Pray for Him to come. Pray for Him to come. here I am, I'm doing all I know to do. I believe in the providence of God. I'm doing and God says it's time to pray. And I saw myself at two in the morning, nearly sitting there in Fred's parking lot, pointing to the north and saying, you who belong and are supposed to end up at all seasons, you come. And you from the east who are supposed to come, you come. And you from the west, you come. And you from the south, you come. I speak that you're coming even now. That seems so silly then. Now, when nearly fifteen hundred kids will be with us next year in camp, and over five hundred nearly attend church now. I think to myself, God, you're good. Even when I do my best, I can't comprehend what you comprehend. You think your marriage is just about you getting it right, but you don't know what uncle, kid, grandkid, you don't know who's going to watch you and whose marriage you're going to save. You think getting healthy is, is just about you, but you have no idea how it's going to impact someone else or how it's going to give you two more years of longevity or to do something you never thought you could have done. Three things you need. And over this next month, you're going to hear messages, and you're going to hear messages, and you're going to hear messages, and God is going to spark vision, and God is going to spark what can be, and God's going to spark these things, and you're going to need three things to move from where God sparks it to where you want to be. You're going to have to know that God is going to be a provider for you. You've got to know it. God's going to provide. He's going to do it. You've got to be dumb enough and gullible enough to believe it will happen. And then you got to have a mindset that I'm not going to sit here, but I'm going to get after it, because I'm going to get there. And then you got to learn to pray it through and speak it into existence. Maybe even 1,200 years. It was 1,200 years from the time that group of men and women gathered around Boaz and said, may the Lord bless you, Boaz. 1,200 years later, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. But God doesn't forget where you stand.